Welcome to the Baker Tilly U.S. Podcast, an online community developed to connect you to our partners and leaders across the globe. Subscribe today to continue discovering new and unique ways that Baker Tilly can enhance or protect your value as we discuss timely, relevant, and impactful topics. This current series, Higher Ed Advisor, is specific to higher education professionals. Colleges and universities find themselves challenged to meet the academic, health, and safety needs of students, faculty, and staff at a time when ensuring liquidity and managing the balance of operating expenses to available funding has tipped negatively for many institutions. The COVID-19 pandemic exacerbates and further illustrates the struggle to provide quality academic programming and achieve your institution's mission within fiscal constraints. Our Higher Ed Advisor podcast kicks off with a series on fiscal resiliency. In this series, our higher education specialists will dive into multiple topics to help your institution address fiscal drivers to improve operations across all university functions. Hello, and welcome back to Baker Tilly Higher Education Podcast. I'm Dave Capitano, Baker Tilly's Higher Education Practice Leader and host of our Higher Ed Advisor Podcast. I'm back again today with my associate, Christine Smith, as she continues to discuss important issues around fiscal resiliency for colleges and universities. Christine and I are here today with two credit rating specialists, Barry Fick, Executive Director of Minnesota Higher Education Facility Authority, and Elizabeth Bergman, Director of Baker Tilly Municipal Advisors. Welcome, Barry and Elizabeth, and welcome back, Christine. Thank you for joining today's podcast to discuss credit rating impact on colleges and universities. Before we get started, maybe we could take some time and introduce ourselves. Barry, would you start? Thanks, Dave. My name is Barry Fick. I'm the Executive Director of the Minnesota Higher Education Facilities Authority, I've been in this position for five years now, and prior to that, I spent 28 years as a municipal advisor. And my background educationally is that I have a Bachelor of Science in Economics, I have a law degree, and I'm a CPA, although I've been inactive in that for a number of years. And spent most of my career in the area of revenue debt, including in focusing on higher education, healthcare, and various strange transactions, as we call them, variable rate debts, interest rate swaps, and the like. So I have a pretty strong background in revenue-based financings. Excellent. Thank you, Barry. Elizabeth. Yeah, thanks, Dave. My name is Elizabeth Bergman. I'm a director at Baker Tilly Municipal Advisors, and we work with higher education clients to help them access the capital markets. And part of that really is working with them on their credit ratings In addition to my role as a municipal advisor, I bring a background of having been at the rating agencies for almost a decade and a half. I was part of Moody's higher education global team and happy to be here today talking about credit ratings. Thank you, Elizabeth. And Christine, I know our listeners are very familiar with you and your background, but just remind them of the new ones that are here today. And I'm handing the reins over to you. Thanks, Dave. Yes, I'm really excited to be moderating this session today on credit ratings and how they impact or might be informing 
fiscal resiliency effort of our higher ed clients. I am a director here at Baker Tilly, for those of you that don't know me in our higher ed practice, and I have been for the last 20 years providing solutions to our over 400 nationally based higher ed clients. In particular, my focus is in the area of assisting our clients to navigate the complexities and the challenges of the current hired environment, specifically as it relates to finances. And thus was one of the people that decided we needed to have a fiscal resiliency podcast to help our clients start to have dialogue and conversations about what others are doing to address some of these challenges. So let's get started today. I'm really excited to have two very esteemed guests joining us who are going to provide a wealth of knowledge and insights relative to the topic of credit ratings. So with that, I'll start with Elizabeth. Sure. I, I think that there's really a one top line issue that factors down into a number of different categories. And that top line issue really is enrollment and what's happening with enrollment trends in higher education across the country. We're seeing demographic trends that present challenges to different parts of the country, as well as certain areas, movement to the coast, movement to certain parts of the country, parts of the country that are getting depleted of population, and then also just overall having fewer college-age students across the country. So those things are really presenting challenges about how universities can maintain enrollment and therefore tuition dollars at levels that they had done previously. You know, I think the other piece of the puzzle that's not a demographic challenge, but that's a challenge to enrollment, is also folks questioning what is the value of a university or college degree? What's the return on investment there? When we're seeing people who have skills you know, in the high tech sector or other sectors be able to have a very good career without a college education. So that's another question. Some of the students that would be going into higher education aren't necessarily. So again, that's sort of the top line question for higher education. There are a couple other things that, that come into play. State support is continually a question when we talk about public universities. How much of that is available? And certainly I think a year ago, we would have all been sitting here fearing that safe support would be cut as state coffers were being depleted in association with the pandemic. But in fact, what we're seeing is the states are, are doing rather well at this point. Nonetheless, there's always pressure on the level of state funding for state universities. You know, I think interestingly, most of the pressures we're seeing in higher education are not about COVID. COVID really is more of an accelerant than a factor in and of itself. That said, there have been some pockets where there have been COVID direct challenges, things like athletics. So athletics programs, if there was no football, that really has changed revenues. And I think we've done some podcasts around the athletics impacts around COVID. And, you know, if you have revenue bonds that are supported by particular segments of revenue, like athletics or housing bonds, I think privatized housing bonds in particular have had some real challenges around COVID. And then another area that I think is COVID accelerated, but has been a challenge for universities to their revenue stream is international students. International students, depending on the college or university, can make up a significant portion of the students and the restrictions associated with COVID have, have presented challenges there. Thanks, Elizabeth. I guess, Barry, anything else, I guess, as you think specifically about the challenges faced by the industry and the challenges brought on by COVID and what that means specific to credit ratings? Yeah, I think there are a number of items that kind of flow from some of the items that Elizabeth identified just now. And first of all, the COVID situation and just universities in general because of demographics have really seen a diminution in their pricing power. 
The days of being able to offer four, four and a half percent annual tuition increases and have them absorbed by the parents or the students are really kind of gone. And so if you either can maintain your tuition at a stable level or increase it only slightly per year, that's much more acceptable to students these days. That then gives a rise to a problem for the school in that how do you increase or even potentially maintain your net tuition per student? Because in not only addition to pricing power, but you've got pricing competition. So the tuition discount rate has been rising markedly in the last few years. There are a number of schools that have a tuition discount of 60% or more, which is long-term probably an unsustainable proposition. So the question becomes, how do you remedy that and increase your number of dollars flowing into the campus if you can't increase your tuition discount? And then finally, that releases another question for these schools, both public and private, of revenue diversification. If you're a research institute, you obviously have the capability of getting grants and support such as that, be that corporate or governmental grants. Or if you're a private institution, you can increase your diversification by getting different uh, new types of programs, for example, or doing more in athletic camps, more summer stuff. But it all depends on, from a credit rating perspective, how you integrate those things and will you be able to absorb any operating startup costs and losses that may occur in the first year or so. So it's a much more challenging environment overall for higher education because of the changes that are outside their control, quite frankly. To that point, I guess, you know, sort of thinking about what you can and you can't control and how successful institutions are at at doing that. So Elizabeth, what would you say to those who feel that every institution just expect to have a bad credit rating in the current environment? No, no, I don't think it's reality. I mean, the rating agencies often talk about this idea of rating through the cycles, understanding that, you know, macro forces that affect across the board won't result in downward or upward movement, regardless of which direction it is. So in general, what rating agencies are looking at is how you're comparing to your peers. So if you're outperforming the cycle or underperforming the cycle, that's really what drives rating changes. And I think it's interesting through the COVID times, we really haven't seen the level of downgrades that we might've expected or that folks might've feared. In 2020, S&P, maintained ratings on 81% of their outstanding higher education ratings with just 14% downgrades. And while that seems kind of high, 14% downgrades under normal circumstances, we have a little bit of a COVID impact. We also have the fact that higher education has been struggling from a rating perspective for a number of years. S&P and Moody's both have had negative outlooks on the sector, and that just reflects the challenging business environment that Barry and I both just spoke about. So that, you know, continues and continues rating pressure. That said, I think that the downgrades that we've seen have been the sort of two characteristics that are relevant to think about. One is there are institutions that were already struggling. So it wasn't somebody who was going along fine, college that was going along fine, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and things changed. And it also tends to be ratings that are more at the lower end of the investment grade spectrum or below investment grade. So your strong flagship universities from states, your Ivy League universities, we have not seen really any rating movement there, but your small privates or community colleges in particular both have been struggling more to to, uh, address COVID. The other thing that changed the 
outlook when we think about ratings in the uh, higher education space is the HERF programs, the, the funding that's come to colleges and universities, that really has created a bridge about, you know, these sort of short-term troubles, any liquidity problems have been really ameliorated by the HERF funding, and that will allow colleges and universities to get to the other side, and as a result, has not resulted in much downward pressure on credit ratings. Thanks, Elizabeth. Those are really helpful insights. And I guess, Barry, I'm just wondering if you could comment on, for those that are struggling, which you both have mentioned for various reasons, what are some of the specific things that those institutions can do? From my experience and observation is one of the best things that a school can do is to maintain open communication and be very transparent with the rating agencies. Like everything else in the business world, surprises are not particularly appreciated. And so to the extent that a, you as a school finance officer or whomever happens to be talking with the rating agencies can be very upfront with them and say, here's our situation, and then outline for them important, most importantly, here's what we're planning to do about it. If it's a good situation where you have increased enrollment for whatever reason, then you can explain how you manage to get additional faculty, et cetera, to accommodate that. If it's a less positive or even a bad situation where you don't have enough students or something has happened, explain what you've done, the processes and procedures you have in place to deal with that and have do that in a transparent manner so the rating agency staff fully understand what they are hearing and what your plans are for it because they communicate that to the rating committee who ultimately makes the decision about what the credit rating is and to the extent you can give the rating analyst or the analyst staff a solid basis on which to make a recommendation and say, okay, they may have an issue here, but here's what they're doing about it. Here's the progress they're seeing and here's the plans they have put into place to fix this particular issue. That goes a very, very long way in terms of uh, making the rating agencies get comfortable with where you are and not saying to themselves, oh gosh, these folks aren't, you know, don't seem to be on top of it. So let's uh, ding them with the credit rating now and not worry about them for a while. Elizabeth, anything else to add relative to strategies for preventing a downgrade? I sat in that other chair and there's nothing quite like people who are ignoring their problems or not acknowledging their problems. And credit rating analysts, part of their training is to think about the worst possible outcome and what happens then. So credit analysts are spinning bad scenarios and so it's really behooves the ones who are getting their rating to think about those bad scenarios before the rating analyst does and have some ideas of where they're going and some solutions. Management is a, is a big part of the rating as well. So demonstrating being proactive, being forward looking, and then having you know, potential solutions, having policies and procedures that you're following, all of those things are really important and frankly, equally as important as any financial or quantitative measures is understanding your scenario and thinking out loud. I think rating analysts really appreciate understanding the problem-solving approach of the management team. That really allows them to sort of get under the hood and, as Barry said, articulate that more widely when rating decisions are being made. So couldn't agree more. I think that ongoing talk is, is really important. You know, I think then there's also implementing strategies that this financial resiliency podcast is about. So listening to some of those other ones, thinking about realigning strategy and, and those kinds of things that are on the other podcasts and being able to talk about those really clearly is helpful. 
And then there's just one thing that I want to make sure I mention at some point on this podcast, I'm going to do it now. I've talked to a number of higher education institutions who think the debt service reserve is there for difficult times. And so they say, well, we're struggling paying the bonds, but it's okay. We've got a debt service reserve that will pay those bonds. Please don't do that if you want to maintain your rating. The rating agency does not like to see the debt service reserve being used to pay debt service. If you have other options, I think it's important to look at those. Use of a debt service reserve, I can't guarantee you, but generally will result in a downgrade. So that's something that should really be done as a last uh, option in terms of paying debt service. Barry, I guess in terms of debt management, I guess what impact can debt management have on and what creative solutions have you seen as it relates to liquidity concerns? Debt management can have a profound impact on the credit rating of an individual institution, either for good or for bad. I think that it's imperative, again, to keep the rating agencies informed about what your plans are for debt issuance. I've seen situations where schools have inadvertently or on purpose, depending on your perspective, failed to let rating agencies know of upcoming financings. And when they did come back to them, there was a lack of trust and concern about what that would involve for the future. If you can't trust them now, what are they going to tell you later? So it's really important to identify and provide a clear, transparent outline of what you're going to be doing and where you're going to be going with your debt management. Also, I think it's important for the institution to be relatively these days more perhaps aggressive in terms of managing your debt than you otherwise would have been in the past. So I think that it helps to be very proactive in terms of setting out a plan for how you're going to repay the debt, especially if you're looking at trying to get some new facilities, renovations in the future, and then developing a plan for how you would fund those, if it's through debt or through gifts or short-term debt, whatever it happens to be. There's a lot of things you can do, perhaps refund or consider refunding or restructuring your debt, perhaps using a different type of debt if you need to use taxable debt, which in the current market here in mid-2021 is very favorable in terms of the rates compared to tax-exempt debt. But you can also look at the idea of not only just for debt management, it's how you come up with the revenue for that. Are you able to increase fees? Are you able to shift some fees? Are you able to find alternative sources of funding for that? Or can you even identify programs that you want to implement that uh, you would have to do some construction debt management for? And conversely, are there programs you have on campus that you may want to phase out or reduce in size because they just aren't meeting the needs of your students these days? So it's, you can't really look at, I guess, debt management in isolation. It needs to be an integrated component part of your entire management and educational structure because it is a fairly large component. And once you get it in place, it's tough to change it and to reduce it. Well, I think your point about identifying revenues, Barry, is really relevant because the favorable conditions we've had for borrowing over the last couple of years, a lot of institutions have added to their debt levels thinking that now is a good time to borrow. And especially with taxable, if you borrow taxable, you have a lot more flexibility about what you can borrow for and when you spend your funds. So as a result, there's a little pressure on the debt ratios for colleges and universities. I think overall debt is creeping up. So identifying revenues that have a little offset to that helps when there's the analysis about how much debt you have to what's going to repay it. So I I think that's a, a really good point, Barry. 
So to kind of take that to the next level then, Elizabeth, I guess I'm just thinking about sort of boards and boards typically are a little bit averse to taking on more debt, right? That's not something that's often comfortable for them. So talk a little bit about the whole concept of credit ratings and using those credit ratings as a motivator for boards and leaders to make very strategic change decisions within institutions. So let me start with with the disclaimer, which is the credit analyst in me feels a little when you say that, because right, credit ratings have one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to indicate the credit risk of this institution. So uh, the rating agencies always say, you know, we're not, this is not a competition. This is not a way to measure how good your university is, any of those things. So that's what the credit rating analyst in me says. But I, I can take a step back and say, Certainly, these are third-party independent evaluations, and that really is something I think higher ed values, particularly there's a sector that's based on grades, accreditation. There are all of these different kinds of ratings and rankings that they're so used to having that credit ratings just fall right into there. So it is an opportunity to be able to benchmark yourself against your peers, and there's a lot of data that the rating agencies put out with that regard medians in in particular, but also explorations of current events and how that's impacting the sector. So it's a great opportunity to be able to focus where you are stronger and weaker compared to your peers. So that's a, a great way to use it with your boards. The other thing is, I think it's great to get the leadership involved in conversations. When I've done some initial ratings for universities, what they say is compiling all the information that they need to do to get a credit rating allows them really to step back and take a holistic picture of what it is that the university's about, sort of, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are. It's funny, whenever you do an initial rating, you think that they must be exhausted and tired by it. But quite often, there's some energy because they get this opportunity to just really have that big holistic picture. So I recommend getting leadership involved in part of the conversations with the rating agencies. You can have them on the call. You can have board members, the president, or, you know, it's quite good to have the rating agencies come to campus. I think we'll be returning to that before too long. That allows the rating agencies to get a visual of the institution that they're rating, and then maybe an opportunity to meet some of those leaders that might not be in the shorter, more perfunctory conversations. I think there's a real temptation to just update the rating agencies on where you were compared to this time last year. And sometimes getting that senior leadership involved means that you have a very big high level discussion and that's really beneficial. So I think that causes everybody to be able to articulate strategic vision. So I recommend getting the senior leadership involved there. Mary, what about you? What do you think relative to sort of that whole conversation that we're having right now about credit ratings and using those to make strategic decisions or as a motivator for transformative change? Again, I think that's very important. And one thing you need to remember is that when you're looking at your typical university or college, public or private board, a lot of the people on there are not directly affiliated on a day-to-day basis with higher education. Oftentimes, they're corporate people or political appointees or something like that. So what I have found to be really helpful over the long term is to get them and kind of talk to them on their level. And that is to say, why don't you consider the credit rating to be an asset of the institution? It's an intangible asset, not unlike goodwill that doesn't really get recorded very often on corporate balance sheets, but it's there and it's a reputational item. And as goodwill, as an asset, you as an organization can choose to increase the value of that 
by having greater liquidity, for example, higher students, number of students, more net tuition per student and all those financial metrics that you can see. Or you could choose to say, perhaps spend some of that down by taking on additional debt or building a new program or making a change to your athletic conference to try and get more competition and do that for longer term enrollment purposes. But it's important to get them to understand that just the fact that you have a credit rating and it, you want to make it be higher and higher and higher may not be a completely good thing. I shouldn't say good thing, but it's not a completely be all end all. It's an asset that you can use to adjust and fulfill your mission and keep doing what you're supposed to do. So for board members, I found that to be helpful when they're going, oh gosh, we're gonna take on all this debt for this new building and our credit rating might get dinged a little bit on that. That'd be absolutely terrible. And I you know, tell them, okay, but where is that going to position you for the future? And a couple of years from now, once you get this new project up and running and assuming it is successful, you may be at a point where you can go back to or even improve your credit rating in the future because you temporarily spent some of that asset and now you have increased and improved the value of that asset going forward. So I think that's something that really schools perhaps more often and boards in particular should think about. So great insights. A lot of things you've talked about today during the podcast. Let me just sort of quickly summarize them and then we'll, we'll ask the final question. But really an intentional proactive approach is really important with a very holistic look at all of your finances. You can't consider these different factors in isolation. Making sure that you maintain that good and very proactive relationship and communication with your rating agency and your analyst and making sure that you think about your credit rating as a specific asset and that you really manage it as if it is an asset um, are all good insights and perspectives that you both have provided today. So with all of that as sort of the backdrop, knowing that many higher ed institutions are thinking about their next credit rating, what advice do you have for colleges and universities to be well prepared for credit agency interactions during the next ratings period? Barry, and then we'll have Elizabeth answer. Yeah, I think that one of the most important things anyone can do if they're going before the credit rating agency is to provide that the most current and accurate information in a form that is understandable by them so they don't have to interpret something to the credit committee and make sure that it is clear and tells the story that you want it and need it to tell. Uh, the rating agencies do a great job in their reports, all of them, of saying, here are the factors that are good about this place. Here are the factors that are not so good about this place. And to the extent you can address your, what you have done specifically to mitigate or ameliorate the bad factors and how you have emphasized and continued on with the good factors, that will go a long way towards getting you an accurate credit rating long-term with the rating agencies. And then in addition, show how from a trend line perspective, not just a single individual year, but how you've been doing things over time and then point out and show them that you have the planning capability internally to deal with any future challenges because COVID has been an amazing change for these folks. But what it has really done essentially is accelerated the level of change that will be occurring and compressed that. So what you would have normally taken five to 10 years to do, you've suddenly done in 15 to 16 months. Don't assume that things are gonna go back to the way they were in 2019 and earlier, but you should be able to maintain and show the rating agencies you have the flexibility to respond to new circumstances and you can deal with those successfully. Valid advice. Elizabeth, anything else that you would add as, as people are thinking about preparing for their next credit rating? 
Yeah, I mean, I think to Barry's point about new circumstances, there are some things that are in the ether, things that are rating factors that might not have been two, three, four years ago, particularly environmental, social, and governance considerations that the investors uh, are thinking a lot about and the rating agencies are trying to report on and create some transparency. So thinking about those factors before the call and helping a rating analyst who's needing to be able to articulate how and why you're paying attention and the programs and thoughts you're putting in for your environmental, social, and governance is, is a good idea. Also, cybersecurity is something that seems to be continuing to come up both in ratings and in the world. So having some talking points on that, I think, is just a good thing to have at the ready. So those are just a couple things I would add. Been a really insightful conversation. Any final thoughts from either of you that anything we haven't talked about that you think it's important for our listeners to think about? Christine, one thing I think is really important to look at, we've talked in depth in this discussion about rating agencies and why you use them and the need for them and how to deal with them. I think one kind of even bigger picture item would be more and more I've seen with all the things that are changing, both in the environment, the economics and within the rating agency themselves, some borrowers might go, why do I even have a credit rating? And maybe there's an option for some folks, certainly not for everyone, but some folks may be in a position where strategically and financially, they may want to explore that option and see what that effect would have on their financial situation. Sounds like a great next podcast topic, Barry. Thanks for, for raising it. All right. I want to thank both Barry Thick from the Minnesota Higher Ed Facilities Authority and our very own Elizabeth Bergman Baker Tilly Municipal Advisors. And thanks to our listeners for listening in today on this topic in the series of fiscal resiliency within higher ed. Thanks everyone and have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly US wherever you get your podcasts.